This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited about the forthcoming episode as we are going to be talking about behavior change and behavior analysis related to sedentary behavior and physical activity. Our guest holds master's degree from Florida Institute of Technology and PhD from University of Florida. He's working as a business analyst at Hope Ridge. He's also working as a consultant at Behavior Fit Company. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Dr. Nicholas Green. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Oli. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. This is a a neat platform to be chatting. You know, you and I have talked about Fibion and other activity devices. You know, um, in the past. So I'm excited to to join you today. So thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So how how are you allocating your time with your with your business and your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good question. So. Um, right with my with my day job, right after I graduated with the PhD a couple of years ago, um, you know that that takes most of the time. But in between, you know, nights and weekends, I work on um, working with clients in a telehealth model. Um, I always joke with my current clients that I was doing telehealth before telehealth became cool during the pandemic. So um, that's kind of the main format of how I work with. Um, individual clients, but I, um, uh, yeah, I focus on behavior change related to, you know, health and fitness behaviors. And it's a really, you know, it's an individualized, you know, one-on-one, um, treatment, you know, session, if you will. And, um, so I spend my time, um, basically on the, on the nights and weekends working on that, um, side of my consulting business. Hmm. Interesting. So, so who are actually your customers? Are they companies or individuals? Good question. They are individuals, um, so they'll reach out to me, um, of course, with um, with my Behavior Fit platform. That's my business name. So I am I'm very active, and I have a running website. So I have a, a blog and you know uh, social media accounts, and I present at conferences. I speak on podcasts. So then individuals will reach out to me in whichever medium, and then uh, of course, then once they reach out, then I go through kind of the the vetting process to see if it's a good fit and then if it is you know we work one-on-one yeah so what's your normal customer are they they recognize that they are sitting too much or they want to be more active how how is the situation usually with your customers right yeah so most clients they're going to have again i um I, i picked up a lot of clients during the pandemic right there's a big environmental change uh, most people are finding that their um, activity and exercise levels have trended the wrong way. They've gone down significantly. So, the, so these are individuals that need some type of, you know, expert advice and guidance uh, for, you know, learning how to, you know, do something to help their, you know, health and wellness. And so, my background and expertise focuses more on the exercise and physical activity. Now, some people, of course, are interested in in weight loss, so I can follow general, you know, United States 
recommendations and, and, and grab those, um, you know, recommendations from, you know, the Center for Disease Control, American Heart Association, and work off of those general recommendations. But primarily, I focus on um, exercise and fitness behavior. So most people, which I've kind of learned the process, so it's really kind of neat that we are talking today that um, we hear the recommendations of 150 minutes, right? Moderate, mm-hmm. vigorous physical activity, right? Everybody on the, this podcast knows those recommendations. But oftentimes when it comes to marrying that with behavior analysis, right? We have to think about what do people want to do? What are their preferences? How do we most importantly measure that uh, those behaviors um, and then, you know, we, we kind of build from there. So um, the, I guess as, as a long way to answer the question, you know, the shorter answer is it's most people who, who need help figuring out how to meet those general physical activity recommendations. Hmm. So so you did your PhD about behavior analysis. Do I get it right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so That is correct. So, yeah so what 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 is it and and why why is it important sure. in behavior change oh i lo- i love the i love the question so um so behavior analysis you can almost think of it as it's a, it's a natural science so natural meaning that we rely on objective evidence that we can see and observe in the environment and so we look at basically you know learning by consequences learning by doing you know, we also have, you know, as humans, we have language, so we have to follow rules, right? A rule being, you know, take 10,000 steps a day, eat more vegetables, things like that. So, so behavior analysis then looks at that individual, you know, client, the individual behavior, the individual organism, right? Because you think about, you know, lab studies, there's animals there. We have human applied studies, right, in the workplace um, that then we can then predict and you know if we're thinking about this from a research lens we want to predict and control um you know outcomes right we want to know if we do x then we get y if we provide feedback and goal setting um, which i've done both in uh, research settings and both in applied practice then we want to see oh okay this environmental change produced the result so we're looking at that environment to say that's where the causality happened as opposed to um, relying on other, you know, constructs or mentalisms like somebody's just lazy, right? I'm doing air quotes if we're in a video here, right? They're, they just don't have what it takes. They don't have the it factor. That to me isn't useful. At the end of the day, we look at maybe there's a skill deficit involved. What can we do to teach somebody how to exercise properly? Um, some may say somebody's not motivated. So how do we actually look at environmental pieces to increase the likelihood that somebody will move. So I'm going off a little bit of a tangent here, but just generally, right, in behavior analysis, that's the science. And then really that applied piece then expands it to applied behavior analysis. How do we make these meaningful changes for the individual person? Mm. So so could you give us an example from your from from one of your customer, like a classical case? How how does the behavior analysis look and how do you use it then in the practical sense? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, oftentimes, right, if we're, if we're thinking about repeated measures, we're going to have some type of baseline measure. We want to know before I recommend some type of intervention, what is your activity level right now? Right. So we all have Apple Watches, Fitbits, Fibions even, right? Um, 
we want to know what is your baseline level of activity. What are those average steps? So that could be you take, you know, somebody's taking 3,000 to 4,000 steps a day. We know that's very low levels. Then we want to look at, okay, how do we intervene and produce a change? Because really, as a coach, I want to say, because we set this goal, because we made this environmental inner a change, we can say, oh, that's responsible for the change, you know, and of course recognize, you know, the person did it, they changed, you know, uh, what they needed to in their environment, and then you go from, you know, that baseline then to the intervention. So that's that's really kind of the unique piece of uh, my line of work as opposed to just showing up every day and saying, you need to move, you need to eat less, you need to do this. So that's really leveraging kind of the scientific process into, you know, an applied setting is where I you know, uh, take the most, uh, take the most pride in, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. So, so how, how are the successes with people like now during the pandemic, the situation have changed? How well have you been able to change behavior and, and what are kind of the main reasons why you succeed? How long does the change usually, usually take in this kind of cases? Right. Yeah. So, um, so then relying on kind of the repeated measures, you know, approach using that baseline intervention, we'll be able to see on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis how each individual case um, differs. But if you about to think of a kind of a classic um, case of, a, um, you know, a middle-aged female um, client that I'm working with right now, she had a good idea of what she needed to do as far as um, exercise and activity, but she didn't have that extra layer of, you know, knowledge essentially and, and, and direction to say, okay, you've been doing these things, but we can look at your intensity minutes and we realized, oh, what you're doing is not enough. So then I really, you know, loosely speaking, kind of empower that client and say, you tell me based on, you know, again, these are, these are the behavioral principles involved of, you know, you tell me what your preferences are. What activities do you like? What activities are accessible? Right. So we go through this process, right? Um, as we're working through, you know, the pandemic and things like that, monitoring the change. And just over time, this one client I'm thinking of, you know, she's gone from, you know, uh, you know, engaging in, you know, 50 minutes of, you know, intense, you know, intense activity a week to now she's consistently, you know, hitting 150 to 200 minutes. And that was just successively, you know, shaping the goals, um, shaping, you know, uh, shaping individual behavior is an important process. Um, to, to kind of leverage when helping people. So, you know, over a four or five month period now, she has, um, uh, she's increased her activity. At the same time, we have other biometrics in place. Um, she has also lost, you know, upwards of like 15 pounds. And of course, those are correlational, but, uh, we do see when we focus on those, 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 uh, those behavior changes. They, they trended together. So that's kind of a classic case of, you know, again, the question that you asked was about how long does it take? This was, you know, over a, about a four and a half, five month period. And then this also is the other contingencies, right? These are the other behavioral pieces in play. This is, we're meeting every week for half an hour to review the goals. We are, mm. um, this is a paid client. So money is involved, right? So we can't ignore that as a contingency, right? We don't know if, if this success would have the same amount of effect if it was a free service, right? We know mm-hmm. when you have skin in the game, when you're paying money for a service, you're going to be more invested. So those are um, those are just kind of a, 
a kind of a, a general overview of like a kind of a classic success story. Hmm. And and how do you how do you see it? Are the reasons often environmental reasons like the work community and and the norms there? And how has the pandemic affected is that people are working from home? Is it easier now to change behavior oh, right. when people are, are at home? Yeah. So the experiences I've had with my clients are that right, you know, in the United States here, um, we've had many people like the whole cities all the cities would be locked down, all the gyms would be closed. So um I've had a couple clients that have made significant changes in their environment in the way of buying new equipment, in the way of buying like a treadmill, doing things like mm-hmm. that. And then depending where they lived across the country, good weather, bad weather would be accessible or not. So um the biggest changes that I've uh I'd say um the clients that have been the most successful have been the ones that have made those those bigger changes with um having the flexibility to work from home and work uh w- the hours that they want to so then they can get their exercise time um in and then of course having some type of um you know physical equipment available is important and then of course through this process I've helped a number of people that um you know as much as you and I Oli may we you know, right we we love and know fitness and we know all the movements and everything, but there's still people that we meet on a day to day that this is their first entry into uh, a, a behavior change program, their first entry into some type of fitness initiative for themselves. So they're starting from scratch. They have to build new skills. So um, I consider that skill building another important important piece of the environment that is going to um, you know predict whether or not somebody can meet their their fitness. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. Mm. And, and how do you see like the, the COVID, it, this relationship having a bad fitness, bad physical physical. Uh, situation that you might get the the worst uh, disease outcomes do you see this with your, any of your customers is it the motivational factor to be more active at this this time oh sure yeah i think if i understand your co- question correctly that um what we're kind of faced with here is like immediate outcomes versus delayed outcomes right so we know mm-hmm. if you are a high risk group and you um Uh, contract COVID-19, the immediate effects could be, you know, death within a couple of days or a couple of weeks, right? Depending on the, right, the outcome, right? However, the, the disease, you know, works, uh, works throughout your body there. Um, but with that being said, you know, for those of us that, you know, um, do not get COVID or, you know, survive the illness that we realize like, oh, like our mortality is like right in front of us. So I think this has possibly signaled um, 
you know, communicated to people that, oh, wow, this, you know, you've been, uh, you haven't been taking care of yourself. And in the event that something like a pandemic happens, you're not, you know, the, your outcomes are going to be, uh, not great, right? You can, <laughs> you can just be pretty blunt about it. So I think that kind of, you know, uh, as a, mo- at a, as a motivational event kind of, you know, is a very powerful one that says, Hey, you know, you, if you continue eating this way, if you continue remaining inactive, your outcomes don't look good. So I think this, the pandemic has really just, uh, heightened or, uh, magnified the issues that, you know, that we already have. And I, um, just, just to kind of piggyback on that, I, um, you know, I, the, in the United States, the, uh, I think there were preliminary, uh, mortality, uh, statistics that came out that, uh, for 2020, again, these are preliminary data. You can look at the, the article that I shared. Um, but the leading cause of death in 2020 was still heart disease in the, in the United States at 690,000 deaths and COVID-19 caused it was like 389, um, somewhere around that. So there was, there was over a 300,000 death difference, um, between the two. Um, you know, these are preventable diseases in, in respect that you could stay home and not get COVID up. Right. Um, but, mm. uh, so I think, right. All of these pieces together, um, are really just kind of, uh, you know, there's all, there's the pandemic of obesity and physical inactivity is still happening. So when these events happen, it really gets people thinking about, Oh, I should probably take this fitness thing a little more serious. Mm. And and you mentioned that some people they are they are able to change their behavior better when they do bigger changes, for example, buy new equipment at home. What advice you would give for behavior change during this situation that you are working from home? What are the main points? How how to change behavior? What are the key yeah. things? Right. So I'd say the the biggest thing is, you know, you look at carving out time of your day, right? And then thinking about, right, if we're taking somebody new, listening to this podcast or whoever that's never exercised a day in their life, they're coming from zero. They're coming from zero times a week they've done anything for their health. So you just have to, you know, based on general recommendations, going to like three days a week is probably the the minimum that I always recommend of like, okay, if we're not doing anything, we at least need to start with three days a week because... Two, it just is too infrequent. So anyway, so you start with three. So just carving out the time that you're going to do something related to your health. Now, these are going to be, you know, subtle behavior changes that are going to affect, you know, your work life, home life, right? You have to get up earlier. You have to leave work. You have to change your work schedule. There's all these pieces. So when I'm working with, you know, adults that have full-time jobs in different parts of the country, um, I, you know, I give them with that time frame. I was like, it's, it's going to take, you know, a couple weeks just to get used to carving out that time. And then we figure out, okay, I guess step one is a checklist, carve out the time. Step two, now think about just do something that you like during that time. We hear that all the time, right? But I think the first piece of that is we need to be consistent about how many times per week, what we're doing, right? So. Um, Carve out the time and then figure out what you're doing, right? That's step two. And step three, based on what you're doing, now let's map that on to general minimum physical activity recommendations. So you have, you know, are you meeting 
the MVP, uh, MVPA guidelines, right? You could be walking around. The general activity is good, but is it elevating your heart rate that where it needs to be? Okay, now we get there. So you can kind of see, right, this is a principle in, in applied behavior analysis called shaping, is that we are taking very gradual steps to get to that 150 minute, you know, uh, per week, right? So, um, so you just start building and then you have to, before you move on to the next step, you need to be consistent and maintain that. And then if you regress or um, fall back, you know, fall back on your, your old habit, so to speak, well, then you go back to the previous step. And so you're constantly moving just one step forward, I guess, pun intended. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, yeah, so you just progress. So I guess to, to round it out there, you had carve out time, do something that you enjoy. And then here, again, this, this comes out, which I've kind of thought about a lot in my um and my work with individuals is that as much as I care about health and wellness, I can't make you care about it that much more, you know, or to the level that I do. So it's really like, okay, you're doing these things now. I have to have that conversation with the client. Is improving your health outcomes, doing these things, is that important for your long term health? That's always what I'm interested in. That's part of the the introduction, you know, uh, session when I meet with somebody. It's I'm not interested in short term results. You know, you could lose 10 pounds, not drink water in two days, and you can be done. That's not going to probably be the best way to get that, to meet that outcome. But um, thinking about the long term, so that's kind of that final step. You can meet the recommendations, but are they important to you? And oftentimes I think that, you know, we're not asking that question. It's always kind of one way of, hey, here's the public health message. You need to do this. You need, you need to do that. But at the end of the day, that's something that in, in behavior analysis we call social validity. If you, the individual, don't care about long-term health outcomes, then as the behavior change agent, as the behavior analyst, we shouldn't be pushing those values and those decisions on somebody for those, you know, just to satisfy my interest. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. And when you talk about discussing about long-term effects, are you kind of picturing the future? Are you picturing the future that if you continue like this, you won't be seeing your granddaughter or or so on? Or how, or how do you make it real? Because people are not very good imagining things in 20 years. So, mm-hmm. so what kind of tactics you use in this one? Oh, sure. Yeah, I I try to just capture that on the front end. You know, when I'm going through a longer intake process with a client, I will say, you know, ask, okay, you know, we're going to be working together for six months. What does success look like for you? You know, you tell me, I'll write it down. Why are you doing these things? Okay, I, you know, I just had a daughter and I'm a single parent and I want to be there for this individual. So then as we progress through our work together, we can always tie back, you know, our success or, or non-success to those original, you know, whys that we identified on the front end. And even when we identify those at the beginning, they could change, right? Why we, why we're doing something like I, um, we could get into, you know, um, you could get into running because you know, you need to, um, you know, lose 50 pounds, but then after you do it, you may realize like, oh, wow, I like the camaraderie. I like the competition. I like running marathons. So, you know, why you do this, do those things could, you know, change from the initial, uh, you know, your initial, uh, you know, state of why you did them to begin. Mm. Yeah. And if I go a little backwards, you said that the first thing was take time, 
do something you like and then mm-hmm. try to meet the recommendations. Isn't this kind of evidence how difficult behavior change is that everybody basically knows they need to take time and they should do something that's right. That's that's fun. So how why the behavior change is so difficult? Why they need to work with you six months to get this kind of <laughs> ba- basic things going? Right. Why why is it so challenging the behavior change? Why is it so hard? Well, here, as I think, you know, the the foundation of you know learning by consequences. We look at you know technically speaking, we have reinforcement that increases the likelihood of things to happen again. Or you have right. This is not a great uh, not a great uh, term that people want to hear, but it's punishment. So things that happen that decrease the likelihood. So we're only talking about like health behavior kind of in a vacuum right now, but all of our lives are filled with all of these other contingencies that then, you know, pull us in different directions, so to speak. So um, you have, uh, you know, you have a job that you need to be there from eight to five. So that is a different contingency. So, you know, when you get closer to time to leave, you know, your behavior changes because of that contingency. So you, um, so when you have different events happening all at once, right, there's, right, we're, we're adults, we have many responsibilities. Um, you have a, you have a combination of all these different contingencies happening. Then you have your learning history, right? All of, all the things of, you know, that you've learned over time, all the momentum you've built up, right? So for me, I train, you know, five days a week. So that has like a very good, you know, we use a metaphor in behavior analysis called behavioral momentum that we've had so many learning opportunities that it's really kind of hard to stop that behavior in a way. It's just, it's just going to happen. And if it breaks, then, you know, that's when you, that's when you hear people say, well, I'm a creature of habit. Um, I, you know, I, I just can't do it. Right. It, it, these are, these are the, the general mentalistic terms that folks use, which are fine. Right. It mm. kind of tells us what's happening. Um, but it becomes difficult because you need many, many learning trials, many more instances of some type of reinforcer happening um, to help people engage in that behavior again. So you think about, I take repeated measures data. So I'm looking at daily Fitbit data, daily Apple Watch data. So then I can look at, oh, there are seven opportunities of behavior that I can give you some type of potential reinforcer on. Like, oh, hey, I like how you went from baseline intervention we hit our goal versus if you just measure something you know once a week once a month there's fewer learning opportunities so the real challenge is to get as many learning opportunities as possible in the mix of how sensitive we may be to certain contingencies so you could say um you know we hear this all the time too hey i'm excited to try this exercise or sport the first time i did it i had a bad experience the coach was awful and nobody was there and Having, you know, having a social support group is, is important to me. We hear those examples all the time. So you think about that was a bad learning experience. So mm. all the things that we know about, you know, how, how often we do different things in life also affects, you know, our health and fitness behavior change too. So, and mm. then you can do these things, but then you have to maintain them over time if they're still important to you. Maintenance is always, that's the hardest thing. Mm. And and you mentioned the interesting term behavioral momentum. I kind of get the idea what this mm-hmm. is, but maybe you can give a give a short scientific description of behavioral momentum. Oh sure. So and behavioral momentum, it's just really, you know, like the fluency, how you know, how how often 
you know, what's the likelihood of you completing something given like your recent like learning history of doing something? So you might have momentum if you say, you know, if you're doing like a, like if I, if I were to just kind of like give a separate task outside of the fitness space, you know, we have, you know, a good amount of momentum if you're doing like, if you're reading off of, uh, you know, flashcards, you know, three plus three, two plus two, you know, two times five, like you have a lot of momentum and then come the difficult, you know, problem at the end, then you're more likely to do that kind of, um, uh, that other, uh, you're able to complete kind of like that difficult, um, task later. So, you know, if we take this back to the, the fitness world, so it's like, okay, you have more momentum built up of like, if I'm, if I'm showing up to class every day, um, I'm doing that three days a week and then I'm showing up to class and then I'm, you know, learning a new skill on, you know, let's say you're doing gymnastics. And then by the time you get to the harder skill, like you have just so much momentum that you're going to, you'd be more likely to, you know, try the new thing. You'd be more likely to succeed. So you have a good foundation kind of built up. So, um, it's, it, it, you know, the behavioral momentum is like in the presence of other things that could prevent you from doing it, you're still going to do it. Right. So, um, you know, I go, I train five days a week at 6am. Mm. If there's something that's, you know, very disruptive to my schedule, so to speak, I will figure out a way, um, to make sure I make it to my six o'clock class in the morning because, I've pro- I've been provided with so many reinforcers, so many positive outcomes for that six o'clock class. Mm. And do those have- do those examples help paint the picture a little bit? Yes, yes, they did. And and another another question you said, mm. for example, three times a week. Which one do you consider better? That you actually do, for example, one hour three times a week, or just twenty minutes every day, like kind of a habit that. You don't skip any days that you keep doing it every day, even if it's very little, but you have the habit of doing it, doing it every day. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, a matter of most of my clients, they will, you know, ask, you know, what, how often should I be working out? It's, you know, my general question is you should be doing it more often than not. Some folks are okay with, you know, doing something a little bit every day. Some people, it's like, you know, I've, I've heard clients say, Doing more than four days is just too much. It can't fit into my schedule. So then you have to look at the context, right, of the, of the behavior change, the environment that the new behavior is supposed to happen in. And that's, you know, hmm. that's a big piece, you know, in behavior analysis is that there needs to be some type of natural contingency, a natural reinforcer then that can trap that, that behavior and have it occur again, kind of trap it, meaning, you know, if you go to a gym, you have a good experience. You're going to be more likely to go there because that behavior is, you know, metaphorically speaking, kind of trapped and always, always happening. So um, it's not so much about, again, tying it to like the long term right outcomes that the kind of that third, that third point there. It's more of the the frequency of days and how much time you spend in an activity is, is the means to the end. Right. It's it's, uh, um, you know, what what how intense is the activity? And then is that producing the results that you want? And if not, mm. then we can change that that frequency. So, mm. yeah, yeah, interesting. So we have discussed now half an hour, so we could wrap up the part one, and in part two, part two, continue discussing about the role of technology in behavior change. Do Do you have any any final remarks for the first part related to these themes that we have discussed? Oh, right. Yeah. No. Um, 
I think in general, when it comes to like, you know, working with, you know, behavior change, you know, I love the question of like, why is it so difficult? It's like, it's because all of us are individuals and we all have our, our own unique learning histories with different, um, different, uh, different activities, different experiences, different events. Right. Um, Hmm. you know, we always come from, you know, one client, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm starting over. Like we, you know, we'd have success for a couple months, then a big environmental change happened. Like, uh, you know, family got sick or, you know, they had to move or do something like that. So that momentum, like we just talked about was completely like cut off. We were like doing great for three, you know, three months, but then this change happened and we basically had to start over. But then I kind of corrected my client and I said, well, it's not so much about starting from scratch. We're actually starting like we now, now we have like experience. We have like a new baseline to go off of. So it's not like all that success didn't happen. We just have a new set of, you know, we just have a new, you know, set of data points to come from. And, um, uh, yeah, I always encourage those that like, it's not about, um, yeah, feeling like, oh, you know, I I give up. I didn't, I didn't have success. It's like, oh, we just have a new kind of context to draw from. So, Mm. yeah, sounds, sounds good. Thanks for taking the time for this, this podcast. Sure. No problem. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.